First name, Mr. Last name, Glass. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? I see dead people. Welcome back to Chronologically. This is the podcast where we take a look at some of film's greatest creators and we go through their works chronologically. My name is Jeff and with me, as always, is Eric. Hey, Jeff. How's it going today? It's going well. How about you? Not too bad. Nice, quiet Sunday morning, man. Oh, baby's asleep. Baby is being taken care of by wife. <laughs> She's a wonderful woman. She and, is. Um, and later on, this is crazy. Later on, they're leaving the house together for the first time. Like, I'll still have the older kids, but my wife and the baby are going to visit a friend. So... The baby won't be in the house for the first time ever. I'm going to play video games. Ooh, Very that exciting. sounds fun. But until then, you're going to be recording a podcast with me, and it's a bonus episode. Um, the last one for a good little bit, um, no pun intended, but we watched Stuart Little from 1999, um, starring Michael J. Fox, Hugh Laurie, Gina Davis, uh, Nathan Lane, Steve Zahn, David Allen Greer, um, Bruno Jennifer Kirby. Tilly. Yeah, Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, the list uh, goes on and on. Estelle Getty. Yeah. <laughs> is Estelle Getty in this? Estelle Getty is in it. They they it's funny oh, yeah. because they got Estelle Getty and then gave her nothing to do. And this turns out to be like her last film role. But she basically is grandma little and she hangs out in the background. And at yeah. one point kind of gets a little confused about which car she's going to get into. And that's uh, all she does. <laughs> Well, and if you don't know who Estelle Getty is, she is known as Mom on the Golden Girls. Yes. Sophie. Fantastic. So, fantastic actress. Much beloved and much missed. Quite the legend. Um, so we're watching this because Mr. Shyamalan had a pretty heavy hand in writing this. There's three writers listed, E.B. White, M. Night Shyamalan, and Greg Booker, but I do believe he did the bulk of the work like this is kind of his script or i think so so i i took i took a look at what's going on here and so uh i have uh greg booker booker rob minkoff who is the director and m night Shyamalan being listed eb white is the original author of the children's book back in okay. like, the 30s and 40s long long dead by the time this movie was produced right on on screen, it shows written by M. Night Shyamalan and Greg Brooker, right? So I started looking into this Brooker guy, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure how much he actually contributed to the writing of the film. It turns out that this guy has written a bunch of Stuart Little books, including Stuart Little, The Great Boat Race, and... Uh, Stuart Little's uh, new brother and like all, all sorts of like Stuart Little adaptations. So I'm not saying that he didn't have any hand in the writing of the film at all, but he might have gotten credit because he had written these books. It's unclear. Maybe he wrote the books in conjunction with the script. Don't know. But I do know that after E.B. White passed away, Stuart Little became one of those like Hardy Boys style franchises where it passed through a number of different authors, you know, who who then published Stuart Little books. And I'm thinking that uh, Mr. Greg Brooker is one of those. And that's how he got kind of involved slash credited on this film. Um, so I, I, I do think that 
and, and this is just my theory, I could be 100% wrong. M. Night could have done like a punch up and Brooker wrote the whole thing. But it feels to me, after reading what I read online, like M. Night did the bulk of the work and Brooker was like consultant who got a credit yeah. because he had story influence, you know, like that that sort of thing. The way things get credited in Hollywood are so wild you know like people negotiate to get an executive producer credit and they don't do shit you know <laughs> like and sometimes people get the writing credit when they contributed story like early on or they wrote a draft of the script that was completely abandoned they still get a credit on the film you know and so it's it's hard to say unless somebody specifically says who did what somewhere in the press it's hard to say who did what but for, yeah. for sure, I, M. Night is the first name listed on this film, and it's kind of jarring to see it there, <laughs> see it pop up like that. Yeah, and it's not under the director role. Um, so do you have any relationship with the source material, Stuart Little? I am pretty sure that I read the original novel as a kid. I was a voracious reader as a kid. I think we've talked about me in the library before. Oh, yeah. Um, Some of my favorite stories. Yeah, so I, I definitely... Uh, I was I was a big Charlotte's Web kid. My sister had the Charlotte's Web book, and when I ran out of books, I would raid her room and read her books. And um, so I read that a number of times, and I think that that led me to reading Stuart Little. That said, I don't have a huge memory of it. I must have been pretty young. Um, I read... <laughs> For some reason, I get it conflated in my head with The Mouse and the Motorcycle, which is a Beverly Cleary series. Uh -huh. uh, Beverly Cleary of Ramona and Beezus and Henry Higgins fame. Um, and, and so, like, when I think of Stuart Little, I think of The Mouse and the Motorcycle, which is like a totally different series, different author, so on and so forth. And, and I, I think I probably engaged with those, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, more, you know. Because um, I was definitely a Beverly Cleary, Judy Bloom reading type. Um, so yeah, so yeah, E.B. White in the background. But yeah, I think I think I read it. I don't remember it. Yeah, I have none. The most I know about Stuart Little was that in Miss Doubtfire, the little girl used to have it read to her by Robin Williams. Um, that's it. So the what'd you think of this? What what is your opinion? Because I know. Like I'll say for me, I don't think this movie's for me, and I got to keep that in mind going in. Yeah, I, de I definitely... Okay, so I didn't look into it much before watching it. I just sat down cold and watched it, and I brought my seven-year-old son into the room to watch it with me. Um, that led me to believe that I've definitely seen it before. I don't know what the context was, but when that cat was hanging out, I knew that Nathan Lane's voice was going to come out of that cat before mm -hmm. he started talking. I was like, Oh, that cat talks like Nathan Lane. Like I, I remembered that. I didn't remember anything else about this movie other than the cat talking in Nathan Lane's voice. So I've definitely seen it before. Um, how did it work for me? It didn't, I, I, it didn't, it didn't work for me. It felt like a series of kind of disjointed little stories about Stuart. Um, I found Michael J. Fox's performance to be fine. Um, yep. I, I love, I love, I love Michael J. Fox, Mr. Fox. He's, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Living um, legend. Yeah. And it, but in this particular case, uh, I felt like, like his regular charm and stuff doesn't have a chance to kind of peek through all that much. Um, and I don't know. Like I just, I wasn't taken with it, but I will say, okay, number one, 
My seven-year-old loved it. Absolutely right. loved it and immediately wanted to watch Stuart Little too, which I was like, yeah, no way. You're watching that by yourself. Uh, and then, uh, secondly, there were a few moments of surprisingly dark humor in this movie that made me laugh out loud. That, like, there was one point where the parents, which they think Stuart is kidnapped, and they're asking the cops, like, oh, the, yeah. The, cop, the cops are like, you know, do you want it straight or not straight? And they say, not so straight. And they're like, he's fine. And they're like, okay, give it to us a little straighter. And they're like, <laughs> well, since they haven't called for ransom yet, that means that they're not in it for money. They're in it for kicks. And they start, they, start, they bring out this book of murder scene yeah. photographs and start showing it to the parents. That really cracked me up because it was so far out of place. Um, I liked the bit with Julia Sweeney and the mushroom soup, you know, that's a very mm-hmm. heavy soup that made me laugh, you know, a, a lot. She was talking about the death of Stewart's natural parents. So there were a few moments of like, just like really morose black humor that I felt were in the movie just, just for me <laughs> to kind of keep me <laughs> yeah. engaged. Um, I thought the cats brought a bit of liveliness to the proceedings, but like you said, in the end, this is a kid's film and it very much feels like one of those kids films that doesn't make a whole lot of allowances for adults. You know, like we've talked in the past about like Pixar films and how there's stuff for adults to grab onto and you find yourself like really emotionally involved yeah. in the film. This was not that this, this really felt like, okay, this is for kids. This is, this is not, this is not for Eric, you know? Yeah. I, and I felt the same way. Um, I, I mean, it's not as bad as the BFG by any means. Oh, God, it no. is a no, 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 passable no. kids film. Um, yeah, I wasn't mad that I watched it like the BFG. Like, yeah. like I wasn't, I wasn't bored out of my mind. It's not a horrible film. It just yeah, and I wasn't sitting there like end already. It actually kind of ended. And I'm like, oh, that was relatively painless. Um, the I, I agree with the cats. I'm a Steve Zahn fan. I really like him. Yeah. Um, whenever he shows up in something, I'm like, oh, nice. Uh, so his little character I thought was was fun. Yeah, I didn't clock um, him initially. It took me about halfway through the movie before he finally like because he was kind of putting on a voice a little bit, and yeah, uh, it, it, I eventually caught on to who he was. I couldn't find David Allen Greer. It says red, but I'm guessing he was one of the cats, but it just, they never really, oh, yeah, I think he was with the, the ginger cat that was in there probably, but I didn't, he didn't talk a lot for me to, to actually peg him, you know? Yeah, the cats were kind of um, like, uh, like you said, the BFG, the Giants, you know, where you got this gaggle and they're all talking at once and they, they might have enlisted some big voices to be those voices, but they're all just kind of running around like, get him, you know, and who knows who the hell is saying that stuff. Yeah, I always appreciate Jennifer Tilly whenever she shows up in anything as well, and she's obviously uh, unmissable uh, when it comes to voice work. Uh, she's really <laughs> and, good. And animation. It looks yeah. like her. Like, Bruno Kirby's <laughs> character does not look like Bruno Kirby, but... I don't know but, who that is. Like, oh, oh, uh, he was in, I like, know which character he was in this, but I don't know... Yeah, you would I, I, recognize him from stuff like all the eighties yeah. and nineties mob stuff he was in, you know. And uh, I want to say City Slickers. He was one of those yeah. guys. And uh, yeah, you would you would know him if you saw him. Yeah, he was one of those guys who like was just at like the edge of big movie stardom, and then just kind of slid back away from it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, he's a uh, good guy, good good actor, you know, recognizable and stuff. 
so I just want to talk real quick about Jeffrey Jones. Uh, I always enjoy his performances, but he's been um, caught up in some unsavory things involving child abuse material. Have you heard about that? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I looked into it online. It's it's very unclear uh, the extent to which he was involved in this. Like he definitely took some illicit photographs of uh, a fourteen year old kid, which is a bummer because uh, you know I've enjoyed his work in a lot of films. Yeah, that's just a caveat to let you know. You know, hey, this guy might not be the best, but as more, uh, Eric has said in the past, um, they're all monsters anyway. They are all monsters. You never, you never get surprised when one is revealed to be a monster. It's always, it's a nice surprise when they turn out to be not monsters, right? Yeah, and and even then, well, they could still be a secret monster. Yeah, and that's like, do you have a list of people you're like, please don't be a monster, please don't be a monster? Yeah, Michael J. Fox probably not a monster. Doesn't I would really, really at this point doesn't seem like a monster. Yeah, I, I um, and it's like for me, it's like Jack Black. It's like, please don't be a monster, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think any of them might have, like, their monster moments, you know, where, well, like... And, I, and especially when you're younger and you're in your 20s and you don't, you know... Anyway, we're kind of... Let's let's stay on track. We watched... We, we fucking watched Stuart Little. Yeah, man. Shit. So, uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to talk briefly about Stuart Little's budget. Um, because... I I don't know what the fuck they were doing with this movie. Like, I have no idea. They must have been, like, inventing some tech and building some hardware and, like, doing crazy shit. Because this movie, online, if you look, if you just Google Stuart Little Budget, it comes up as $105 million. Right? On IMDb, it's listed as $130 million. So, it's somewhere above... A hundred million dollars for this 80 minute kids movie with the little animated mouse. Right Mm -hmm. now, I went and looked at other 1999 budgets here just just for the sake of it. Right. The Matrix, 63 million dollars. The Sixth Sense, 40 million dollars. Phantom Menace, 115 million dollars. Fight Club, 63 million Toy Story, wait, wait. ninety million. Did you say Phantom Menace came under Stuart Little? Yes, I did. In budget, oh yes. my gosh. The Mummy, eighty million dollars. And then I thought, okay, well, what about like other movies that do like the successive level of animal animation, right? Because there's a lot of CG in this. You know, they're putting the little mouth on the cats and so on and so forth. I looked at Babe, Pig in the City, made four years earlier, thirty million dollars. Oh, and 30, a far better film. $30 million dollars for classic. <laughs> so where did this $130 million go? Like, that's $130 million freaking dollars. Ant-Man cost $130 million, right? And, and, in today's in money. In today's money, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, what was $130 million in 1999? Like, what would that equate to today? Like, $200 million? What were they doing with Stuart Little? Like, what on earth would they have spent that kind of money on? It certainly wasn't the set. They weren't flinging Estelle Getty two million. You know, like, where did this money go? What? What? I don't know. Because none of the other than Michael J. Fox, none of the actors are what I would call a list. No, maybe Gina Davis, but like. Ah, that's pushing it, though. Like, uh, you know. At the time, you know, like, 
she was a list. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, Thelma and Louise and all that. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say yes to a list for Gina Davis. Long Kiss Goodnight. It was in that that era. You know, she was headlining movies at that point. Hugh Laurie, no, definitely not. You know, yeah. Uh, I was surprised to see him in this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the voice actors and so on. No. It was a voice performance for Michael J. Fox. And we know that people sometimes like Shrek, you know, they get paid like big bank for that sometimes. I, there's, I couldn't find out what his salary was for this, but yeah. it's, it's insane. It's insane how much they spent on this movie. And it doesn't look that good. Like, no, like, I understand like, like the CG at the time was probably okay. Like it was It like, got nominated for yeah. an Oscar. And lost to Matrix, which was made for $63 million. Right. Uh, and and for being nominated, uh, like, to me, the seams on this are pretty obvious. I don't think Stuart looks particularly great. Uh, you know, the, the cat mouths are a mixed bag at times. Yes. You know? Yeah, I always look at the feet on characters in films like this. Like, we did Roger Rabbit. And, and of course, that's hand-drawn animation, not CG. But it's seamless. Like, the way the feet are and the reflections and so on and so forth and in this particular case the the feet ain't so great right and there are a few shots which i thought it was really interesting i rewound it a few times because there are a few shots where they're long shots one in particular where they're eating at the table with the whole family and dad's on the left and then little boy and then Stuart and then mom on the right and Stuart is a freaking mouse on a stick it is a it is a puppet mouse on a stick in the long shot. <laughs> and then they go in for the close-up and it's the CG. Same thing with when he first gets in the bed. It is it's a puppet mouse on a stick in the bed. And then they, they zoom in and it's, it's you know, the actual that character. Was 40 million right there. Right. For <laughs> puppet so, mouse like, stick. Where is this money? Like, it's not in the house, right? Like, it's not in the sets. It's not paying all those orphans. Like, where did they spend all this money? I... I texted you while I was watching it, and yeah. I, I texted shittiest fake tree since Poltergeist. This is a hundred million dollar movie. Make a better tree. Like that tree, the a whole big sequence at the end takes place with Stuart in the tree with the cats and they're chasing them, they're moving the tree around. It is a very shitty fake tree. It is like made of paper mache, like yeah. very, very poor. So I don't know. I just when I found out how much this movie cost, I was dumbfounded. Like, if you'd have asked me how to put it in the 40 and $50 million range, and I don't make movies, I don't have any idea, like, how much stuff costs. But when you look at it compared to, like, other movies of the era... Right. Like, you, like Phantom Menace, I thought for sure, would have more, because it has way more CG. It's, you know, it, it's a big budget film pod like it's races you got big name actors in that it you not got, only is a big budget film but is guaranteed to make its money back yeah you got you Watto, know, you got you got jar jar you know like full cg characters is what i'm saying and uh yeah yeah and guaranteed to make its money back right that's, it was the number that, one movie that year that's the thing <laughs> who's the yeah. psycho at columbia pictures who was like, sure, thumbs up for $130 million for Stuart Little, a, my, uh, a little-known children's book. Go for I, it. I, I think they laundered money. I yeah. think they used it to launder money. They could have um, been laundering money, yeah. The only thing that gave me pause about it was that the director was Rob Minkoff, who is a well-known uh, 
children's director who also co-directed the lion king right so like if that guy was using his pull um, but directors don't generally get that kind of money like well i'm not saying he he got paid oh, okay i'm saying yeah. like he influenced you know like because he was involved in uh the roger rabbit shorts you know so he had some kind of experience along these lines he co-directed the lion king um so like there's a possibility that he used his pull to kind of get this made and get that sort of budget. But um, all in all madness, I think madness. Yeah. I, I, was there anything in your research that costed more in 1999? No, totally. No. I mean, so I would Im- the- imagine CG is cheaper now than it was then you know yeah like, but i i i mean it's it, so you like again phantom menace i would have thought was the most expensive movie that year so you didn't so this is the most expensive movie from 1999 oh no i wouldn't say that no uh yeah there were some others that were more expensive that flopped like okay. wild wild west was like 150 oh, million but still 150 million like it's it's within spitting range right oh i'm yeah. sorry it was 180 million um but then, like, you look at some of these other ones from that era. Um, the Patriot, $35 million, right? Uh, let's see. Iron Giant, $48 million. These are the budgets on these things. Um, the 13th Warrior, $85 million. That's a period piece. Everybody's covered in mud and shit the whole movie. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like this is filmed primarily in one house. You know, Mystery Men, $68 million. So, like... Yeah, I have no idea what was going on, and I, I guess we probably talked about it long enough. It's just bewildering yeah, to me. It's just interesting to uh, to to see what else was in that range. Yeah. Um, did you mention some of the funny parts? So, th- like you said, this feels like maybe three books kind of mushed together. You have him being adopted. Yes. Him being and adopted, then ha- and then the boat race. And then the cat him being kidnapping. taken by the mobster family, yeah. Jennifer Tilly and her husband, and uh, and then the final sequence with Nathan Lane. Yeah, yeah. So I I read that E. B. White originally wrote these stories as a series of short stories that he was sharing with his nieces and nephews. And then as time went on, like he was convinced to put it all together into one book. So apparently the original Stuart little book is like that. It's a series of, you know, short scenarios involving this character. So it's not a surprise that the movie feels that way, but I I would have thought they might've tried to find a better way to make it feel less episodic. Like, it starts out and you feel like the whole crux of the movie is going to be a uh, little glasses kid accepting Stuart as his brother, but that does not take very long. And then you're no. like, well, what the hell else are we going to do for the next 50 minutes? You know, like it, it, it just, it definitely feels very. And then as the second thing resolves, you kind of feel like, okay, we're done. We're done now. Nope. Nope. Now we got to go do the cats in the tree, you know? Okay. Now we're done. Um, so yeah, it it definitely feels like it has like an ebb and flow to it. You know, yeah. like you keep going. Not over a these hills. typical three act structure. No, definitely not. Like each act was its own story. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I just don't, I don't know if it was enough to hold together for me. I guess the through line with his relationship with the cat 
was probably what they were banking on. But that's only at the beginning and the end. That kind of bookends things. In the middle with the boat race, he's gone. Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the um what did you think about the bully kid with the boat uh i, I wanted to choke him out <laughs> yeah i mean that kid was a dick and uh but again like there's no background to that kid and then you never see that kid again right and and yeah so he's just, he tries to murder Stuart. he does he does try to murder <laughs> Stuart. that's true yeah. he does but it, like you have to you have to wonder what the rules of this world are. Like, yeah. because the mouse can talk and everybody can hear the mouse yeah, talk, but exactly. the cat talks and nobody seems to know and that the, the cat, cat talks. is in a lower class right. for the family, right? He is the pet. Right. And the other cats are like making fun of him because like there's a mouse and you're the mouse's pet, you know? And so there's very much a like... Stewart is more a part of the family than the cat is. Right. Um, so that makes me wonder, like, does the kid who tries to murder Stuart on the boat know that Stuart is like a conscious being, you know, it like more than just a regular mouse, like are all mice like that? Or is Stuart right. an exception? And if Stuart is the exception, then why aren't they on TV with their magical talking mouse, right? <laughs> this world is interesting, uh, and it is sort of a fairy taleish looking world. It's colorful and bright. I kind of like the sort of almost surreal nature to some of the way everything feels. It does feel like a kid's book to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And, it's- like, the dialogue is very deliberate like it's it's not there's no nuance to it i don't know if i want to say that's a good thing but i found that there was a tone to the whole movie that kind of fit that kind of worked it did it felt almost like looked like the dialogue was kind of lifted out of the old-timey book right and it almost feels like the family was lifted out of the old-timey book and and placed into the modern world the one exception was when gina davis is like how about we just murder these little mice when they're trying to take Stuart away and she has this moment of we're bigger than them we'll just make them disappear right (laughs) i was on board with her because i knew something was up immediately but um where was i going with that i don't remember but uh yeah i i think that I kind of not quite to the level that Pushing Daisies, the TV show is, where it has that vi- bright, vibrant fairy tale a feel. It kind of has that to a lesser degree. Agreed. Yeah, it's not as in your face like that stylized sort of thing. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the pushing pushing Davies, daisies. And it doesn't it doesn't quite get there. Like it's not Wes Anderson, right? Like it's it's not that super stylized world. It's just enough so that you know that you're not in our Our world world. right i also like mentioning talking about the fact that Stuart is this talking mouse and it never seems to take anyone by surprise like other than that he's been adopted by a human family that seems to surprise people but it doesn't surprise anyone that he talks like when they go to the adoption place and they're looking at kids Here's Stuart Little pops up. Yeah, you want that kid and this kid. And they're not surprised that Stuart talks. No, not at all. And the, the adoption lady is like, yeah, you know, why wouldn't we take in an orphan mouse? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of thought there with the adoption lady, 
she has this comment about, you know, we normally recommend that you don't take in, you know, orphans not of your own. And then she says species. And I thought, oh, maybe we're going for like an allegory here for like you know like yeah interracial adoptions or you know you know from different cultures or that's immediately what i thought like and i think that that was very deliberately delivered it, it was and then the movie does nothing with it like, like it doesn't go anywhere and i kind of like the closest i could say that it does and it is that the family you can make it a point of acceptance right and what that looks like um and then the family is just like, yeah, like not just Gina Davis and Hugh Laurie, but the extended family comes in. They see the mouse. They're taken back by him for a moment. But then they're just like, yeah, he's family now, you know, and there can be something said for that, like, uh, you know, someone being adopted of a, a different race or sexual orientation in the family or something like that. And just being like that's who they are and they're part of our family yeah yeah it is interesting because the family does bring gifts that are like inappropriate right they well bring, they don't know that he's a mouse they, they don't weren't tipped off so they bring the ball and the bike and you know all this stuff and Stuart gamely tries to go along you know with with the gifts and you know it's none even though he can't use the gifts as appreciative of the thing but that's kind of like the last that the family missteps at all you know yeah with the fact that he's a mouse and uh i, I don't know it's a uh, uh, <laughs> i found that to be a little heartwarming that the family and then like when he goes missing they come home and the family's already in full action yes right that everybody's like we're putting our foot posters up we got this going on and we're gonna find this kid you know, and even you, Lori's like, well, you know, <laughs> like he's kind of doubting it. And this son kind of gets him on board and says, hey, we don't we don't ever give up. Right. So and I found that to be a nice moment that Stuart is wholeheartedly accepted by the family, including the extended family. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Beyond that, I kind of I kind of struggle a little bit to find things to talk about with this movie you know like i thought the filming on the boat race was particularly shitty um i found the segment with the car in the sewer to be reminiscent of back to the future mm-hmm. <laughs> the car in the tunnel um yeah. and, probably not an accident and more effective than the boat race um and other than like there's just not a lot going on in this movie. Like it's, it's I did not really... find the lip Nicky kid appealing in any way. You know, like I, I, he's one of those kids where I just don't, I don't get it. Like I don't. Yeah. He feels false. Like we've seen over Spielberg and then in Sixth Sense, some very incredible child acting. And this kid in this film ain't it. Yeah, he ain't it. And and it's interesting because like even other kids, like I think of in terms of Macaulay Culkin, right? Not a great actor when he was a kid. For some reason still kind of appealing, right? Like like I, I enjoy Macaulay Culkin. He was films. given a lot to work with and I think I mean I'm talking about Home Alone specifically if we ever do John Hughes, which is highly likely, you know, he uh those moments where he has the you know, uh What's the line he says? Um, are you thirsty for more? 
you know yeah that sort of stuff like he just those lines he's able to deliver with some sort of mischievousness that i think we now know is present in macaulay culkin <laughs> there yes. is some it adult. comes natural to him <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh and i think that that's why he, he's able to thrive in that role yeah so I, I don't want to say that i don't like macaulay culkin i just i feel oh, like no like i just think mischievousness I think, I think he's like not, not the best culkin right like there are other culkins who are right might be kieran like, is probably the best one who we've seen better you know what um, was kieran i don't know we're gonna see rory song? pretty soon though he's in signs um well, maybe that's what i'm thinking yeah 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 so but but anyhow like like this this is a kid that had that kid moment, not as big as Macaulay Culkin's, obviously, who was just like a freaking international oh, phenomenon. Oh, yeah, that just went out. But still yeah. a kid moment, you know, where he was getting films as a child because of the strength of his Jerry Maguire situation, I guess. I don't get it. Like, I, I, was, I was just kind of like, eh, this kid's doing nothing for me, you know? And, and it's not that I hate the kid, and he's a kid, you know? Like, it's... Right. I don't want to... Like, we've talked about before, Phantom Menace Jake Lloyd, this kid, you know? Yeah. But I, I certainly would not have gone to see a film on the strength of this kid. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he is not in the, the Haley Joe Osment realm. No, no of, not at all. If you're like, oh, that's at least going to be well-performed. Yeah. Um, the other thing I could say I can maybe pull an allegory out is um, there are several moments where Stuart almost dies out of neglect from the parents. And I thought that it maybe paralleled parenting someone with special needs, right? Because Stuart is so small, you have to take very different like they treat him like they do everyone else. And I think that's a good thing, but they also don't make exceptions for the fact that he's smaller than everyone else. I His agree. needs are unique to him and to the point where he almost drowns in the washing machine. Like they almost kill his kid. <laughs> Aside from having plumbing magically installed for him on the very first day with his little yeah. tiny sink that appears out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I was thinking that in terms of like the bike and the ball too. Like, like, yeah. you know, they're giving him these gifts that are, he's unable to use because they're not taking into account, you know, quote, special needs. Um, yeah, I, I had similar thoughts. I was, I was watching that sequence with the washer and and thinking in terms of like i've got a newborn baby in the house right now and the yeah. different ways that you kind of adjust your behaviors because you're taking care of this helpless thing right and and sometimes like i'll go to like adjust her in my arms and go oh shit i did that too fast like she didn't like it <laughs> like what must that feel like like i just put this kid on a roller coaster ride and i was just trying to shift you know yeah um and so yeah in terms of stewart like same thing like you know you put them in your pocket and you start walking around that's got to be terrifying to something of that size you know <laughs> so you might as well yeah. put them in a slingshot like you know so yeah I agreed that that there's something there but again i feel like the movie kind of doesn't go anywhere just, with it it's like right. a little metaphor but it kind of it doesn't never really pays off too much other than oh we almost killed Stuart again you know yeah, and I and I think that's maybe the best way to place this film. This film has a lot of things that could have worked and just never really does anything with any of it. It just kind of feels at the end of the day, ah, oh, there, it's done. You yeah. know, we made a, a kid's movie and they shat it out into the world and it's not that bad. For but $130 million. This time, right, but at this time, Pixar's already in full effect, right? You know, and... and 
Pixar hadn't had any misses at this point either, right? right? Everything was just banger after banger. So I think like you can't excuse it as just being a kid's movie anymore. Well, yeah, but the other thing is that there's no denying this film was a hit. Like they made money on this. This this it wasn't in the top ten of the year or anything like that, but it did end up grossing over three hundred million dollars, which was enough for them to make another theatrical release right. with Stuart they Little. They made a the second one, so and then a yeah. TV series, and then a direct to video sequel with Stuart Little three. So like it was enough for How them to franchise. How much of that this. is the 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 source material? People being oh Stuart Little. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, did anybody even like? At that point, Stuart Little's not a recognizable name to children, right? Like parents, yeah. like people my age might have this, like like I said at the beginning, vague recollection of Stuart Little. You know, like it certainly never had the cultural cachet of a Charlotte's Web, the other EB1 right. property, right? Um, so like I don't know any kids that would be like, Dad, please take me to go see Stuart yeah, Little. You, you know, unless they, unless they saw a trailer, right? Um, and and we're hypnotized it's by the mouse. It's not like the Mario movie where it was like, we're going to see the Mario movie. Right, it's not that kind of property. Right. Yeah, this feels more like a Tales of Despero sort of situation where kids see it and they're like, oh, cute mouse. Even. But what? Like, what is that yeah. thing? You know? So. The fact kind of how I felt about Tintin, where it was just like, I don't know what this is. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that it actually did succeed and made money shows that something was going on here. Maybe it was kids like my kid telling other kids like, oh, you got to go see. Because it, it popped at number one, and then it, yeah. it, it knocked Toy Story 2 out of the top spot. Im- which is, which is fucking insane. And then yeah. it dipped to number two the next week, and then it popped back to number one on its third week. So, like, this was the number one movie for at least a few weeks in 1999, which we've already discussed as, like, the best film year of all time. Like, right. so freaking good. And this movie somehow, some way, managed to, like... Sh- elbow all the other stuff out of the way and be the number one movie for a little while which to me is just bonkers like i don't know so something's going yeah. on here something something's registering with others that isn't registering with us perhaps maybe yeah. it's and the fact that it follows okay. gremlin rules with the car which pissed me off i'm fine with that i'm fine <laughs> with that i don't care we ruined it we got a talking mouse i'm fine with it okay fair enough all right yeah so i mean that's it for this we're, we're done with this movie i mean it's fine. It's it's not bad. It's no, fine. It's fine. Like I watched it on a Saturday morning with my son, and he enjoyed it, and I wasn't mad. So yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's not um, go out of your way to watch it. Right. I watched it in two parts, though. I still had to take a break. <laughs> it did not take me away, sweep me away, where I watched it in one sitting. But I think we might get swept away next week while we watch unbreakable um the second of his big hits uh i don't know what i'm trying to say this next big we're we're in shamalon proper now yes we are um no more stuff made on vhs or you know wide awake Uh, no twist in Stuart little but we're going back to the world of twists so um that's it for this. I, I don't have anything else to add. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Eric, you can do so on uh, Twitter at Eric underscore hotter. You can find me at uh, podcast by Jeff on Twitter. You can go check out the YouTube channel of Eric's is just Eric hotter uh, gaming for your gaming review needs. 
also um, my other podcast, The Movie Draft House. You can also go to chronologically.net. Huh? How about that? And it'll fancy. just basically bring you to the feed and you can listen there if you wanted to. We are fancy now. Yeah. Anyway, well, we'll see you next week on Chronologically. Take care, y'all. Bye.